Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. How can individual members of a community help children flourish in the classroom? One way is through mentoring. Scholastic's nationwide mentorship program helps students boost their literacy skills while creating meaningful bonds with caring individuals. Our Read Aloud mentoring program is called REAL, which stands for Read, Excel, Achieve, and Lead. Today, educator and mentor Christian Adair will tell us how the REAL Read program works in his school district in Kentucky. Christian is the founder and director of Alpha League, a mentoring and leadership organization focused on underserved and marginalized boys. He currently leads mentoring initiatives, including Real Read, in the Fayette County Public Schools. I'm delighted to welcome educator Christian Adair. Hi, Christian. Welcome to the program. Hello. I'm glad to be here. I can't wait to share with you about the work that we've been doing. Let's dig in. Tell us about your background and how you became involved in Real Read, our scholastic mentoring program. Well, I work for Fayette County Public Schools, and we wanted to find a vehicle that would allow more volunteers to come into our schools and to be impactful with our students. And so they brought me in to figure out what's the best type of programming we could do. And this seemed to fit that bill. So Fayette County, for our listeners, is in Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky. And about how many students are in the district there? We have uh, 42,000 students. So this program was reaching 37 elementary schools. Oh, my goodness. So tell us the nuts and bolts, how the mentoring program works in your community and how it helps boost literacy among students. Okay, so uh, let me give a little background of our community first. So our school system, like I said, we have 42,000 students and the population in our cities, uh, over 300,000 and 75% is white, 15% African-American. We have over 185 languages in our city and over 94 languages in our school system. And then Spanish is the second most spoken language. So we have, for this area, we have a very diverse population of cultures compared to the rest of the state. In our school district, we are a minority majority school district as well. So over 50% of our students are from a minority. And because of that, we wanted to be more inclusive and diverse in our literature and bringing in readers and, and volunteers to interact with our students. Over 80% of our teachers are white female, which is kind of reflective across the whole country. When we were first introduced to Real Read, it was about bringing mentors in and family community engagement. However, my expertise in the area that I was brought in is to do something with boys of color in particular. And then we wanted to think about how can we be inclusive and diverse? And so we took this program and we thought about what are different ways that we could be more inclusive and with that being said, we asked Elastic, can you provide books that are more inclusive and reflective of our student population, which is, again, is minority majority. And we wanted our kids to have books of characters that look like them. And we wanted students to have books 
of characters that didn't look like them. Because historically, most of our books do represent the majority of America, which is white America. And so when we got these new books in, we had kids, you know, we had uh, African-American girls wearing red shoes. It was a simple uh, same thing as you would find in other books, the kids doing just normal everyday character from cooking to writing to inventing. And we want our kids to see that. We didn't want them to just see athletics. We didn't want them to see students coming out of poverty. We want to see the average student doing average things so they saw themselves. So that was going to be the inclusive piece with with the books. We also want to introduce a little bit more culture connections and career awareness and community involvement. So we recruited over 300 new volunteers, most of them being men. So we called it Real Men Read for a while. So we got more men to come into the school district and to read. Then we focused even more on men of color. And we had over 100 new men of color coming in and reading these books. We were thinking we want our African-American students to see men of color reading, for instance. But we realized is that it was just as important for our teachers to see men of color reading. It was just as important as for our white female students to see men of color reading. And so we understood that this was more inclusive. It was a cultural exchange. It was cultural connections. And it made awareness that people were actually to, were able to interact with cultures that may, they may not have interacted with unless they were in this program. We also found that our students, Hispanic students, were reading books at home to their parents who are English learners. And so they were actually helping our families become learners when we were using these books that were easier to read. And so with that dynamic being said, we started expanding the program. We ended up having real barbers read, real coaches read, and it became, it still is, something of excitement and it was a point of interaction. So we gave our community, a job to do. How did you encourage the mentors to join up and to become part of the program? Well, I had to go out there and recruit. I went to uh, the University of Kentucky here, first of all, and recruited their student athletes. And their student athletes, a lot of times, need community service hours or need to do an outreach. And so I went and talked to the football team and the track team and got those guys on board. They started volunteering I went to the police department, talked to one of the most intimidating group of men I ever had to stand in front of, first of all. But I got to talk to the whole department at one time and talk to them about how their impact could increase their relationships with the community. So they began to read. And of course, the fire department wanted to be competitive. So they joined in on themselves. So you actually had to go out and invite them and give them a job to do and tell them exactly what you wanted. So, for instance, I said for one hour a month, including your travel time, Come read a book for four months to the students and adopt a class, get to know them. And even though they were coming there to read this book, they end up sharing themselves. I can talk about this program all day because I will also tell you that the students were benefiting. But I think the readers benefited just as much as not more because they became uh, educators in a sense. And they were connecting our students and they found themselves in that. What kind of guidance did the mentors get in order to lead the student groups? Scholastic would provide a, a reading guide to for the mentors before they went into the classroom. And the reading guide gave them background on what the book they're about to read and also give them questions they could ask the students to ensure the students were following along and understood the story. It made the readers comfortable. I had lawyers and architects who are high-level thinkers, correct? So they have these degrees in a high level, 
but they were still nervous and scared about reading to second and third graders. They didn't want to pronounce things wrong. They didn't want to say the wrong thing. So these guys made it much more comfortable for them to be prepared to go in and read these books. That's great. What are some of the books do you, can you recall offhand some of the books that the mentors have read to the students? Not Norman, Red Shoes, Little Red Fort, Harness the Wind. The books were reflective of our students. And, and that's probably one of the most exciting things to, to see when kids would open up a book and, and see, wow, that, that's me in that book. What were some of their reactions to having mentors in the classroom reading to them and people from the outside world, shall we say? I'll give you a couple of stories, but I'll give you a firsthand example. I was reading a story. I read Ruby Bridges. And I'm not some extraordinary reader or anything like that. And I was actually nervous. And I'm actually at, at the time I was I was just finishing up being a middle school teacher and into this new position where well, I went and volunteer and read. And I read this book and I got up to leave and uh, all the students came up and they hugged me. They were all hugging me. Every one of them came around. So we had a big group hug. Uh, arm came up from underneath me and my head was straight up. And one of the guys, one of the little boys reached up and he started grabbing my beard. And he started scratching my beard. And he was scratching his beard. And I looked down at him. I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I never touched a beard before. And when he said, I never touched a beard before, and he, he was a black male, I realized that this program wasn't just about reading. This program was about the connection and the fact I was there and I showed that I cared. And I also, this young male, he was able to reach out. And he took his chance. He's like, you know what? I'm close to this beard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he reached out and he grabbed it and he had to do it. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I actually have a picture of that moment. And when that happened to me, that's when I realized I had to go get more men, especially men of color, to come in and read. And I had to share that story. Even though I was a teacher, middle school and high school, I didn't realize what was actually lacking in that student and just that connection and that opportunity. And so the kids were greatly appreciative. I have lots of other pictures of kids hugging their, their readers. I have a story of a, of, a, of a new couple that just got married and his stepdaughter was in the school and he wasn't getting along with the stepdaughter. You know, sometimes when you blend the family, he read to her class and he became that cool guy. And his, he said his relationship with his stepdaughter flourished. They became like best friends because now she saw him caring about what she's doing in school. Her friends saw that he cared. He became okay and acceptable. And he said that changed everything. It made his relationship with his wife even better. And so, again, stories over top of stories on how kids appreciate it. Husbands coming and reading for the, to their wives' classes. And they saw, like, what do they go through every day? The kids say, whoa, my, my teacher is a real person. Look, she has a husband, you know, and, and so forth. And, and I got a lot of these stories that are, like, very uh, touching because, there were new connections that we wasn't thinking about. We were thinking literacy, 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 reading. But that social emotional learning took place. That connection where when you built a relationship took place. And we know when you build family community engagement, you build relationships with your students, you're able to reach them and educate them better. That's so moving, Christian. It made me wonder about your own childhood and the experiences you had in the classroom growing up. Were there books where you could see yourself reflected positively? No. So uh, I am African-American male and the books I read and, and were always majority of the time. It was very rare that I it was white men. 
It was showing the glory and the successes and the things that they accomplished. One of the first books I actually read from cover to cover was actually a Malcolm X book. And that went until high school. I am 50 years old. And so I didn't have that connection. And the reading wasn't that fun. And when I did read, it was a Sports Illustrated. It was about sports. And thinking that was what, because that's what I was shown. That's what I thought that that's what I was supposed to be. And I didn't see the books about Drew's, about all the amazing accomplishments of African-Americans to this country, not just the African-American community, but all the contributions that African-Americans made for everyone to do better in, our, in the United States in this community. So I, I was not exposed to it either. So that's what this, makes this program so amazing. And even then, when I was exposed to reading, it was a lot of times it was athletic driven or a sports hero, for instance, or someone out of poverty. And that's not what I was used to. You know, that's not something that that we're all about. We we like to dance wearing red shoes. We like to play the trumpet. Right. So ordinary everyday heroes. Yes. Oh, that's that's wonderful that you have this experience now with these students. How can other school districts tap into the many resources and partners in their own communities to help their students boost their literacy and their self-esteem and their confidence? Women, when you ask them to volunteer, they will come and they will volunteer to a whole nother degree. They will take ownership. They will come in and create something. What I found throughout this time is even then, they didn't want to always go to the library and reorganize the shelves and do the typical. They wanted it to be impactful and have relationships with the students. Men, on the other hand, you have to give them a job to do. You have to tell them exactly what you want and how you want it. And they'll say, I can do that. So if you go in and you and there's a, a fraternity or a, or a veterans group or something, and you tell them, all I need you to do is show up for one hour a month, for four months or five months. And this is what you come and share yourself, come and share a story. You get that connection started and you give the men a job to do. They'll come and do it. And things will evolve. We've had several programs here that have evolved. We had readers, Rufus Friday, who's the editor of the Herald Leader here, which is a major newspaper. He's former editor. He came and read to the students. And then because of there, he introduced his, his, his church group of men. And now they have a group called the Difference Makers. And the Difference Makers is a mentor program that came out of them just starting to read. We had firemen and, and police officers competing. Now, because they're competing, now they wanted all the attention from the students. And you have more firemen coming in because they want to have more than the police officers coming in. <laughs> you have lawyer organizations competing coming in. You had athletic programs. I had the dive team and the track team. Which one was wanting to come in and have more people come in and reading so they could brag about what they're doing? And they were taking selfies and they were taking pictures <laughs> and they were putting them on their IGs and things like that, showing that they're contributing to the education of our, our students. It is clearly is so successful, but I'm wondering how you were able to get families and schools to see the value of mentoring and community engagement. So when we say the value, when I think about when I had to get the numbers or the qualitative and quantitative data, we can say 100% of our elementary students have home libraries that are diverse and inclusive because the, kid, the students got to take home these books. We got to say 56,000 books went home. We had over 500 new volunteers. We had over 150 men of color volunteering. 
We had over 50 businesses and organizations volunteering and, and competing to be in our schools. This is our fifth year doing it. We had 37, 100% of our elementary schools participating. And here in Kentucky, we have schools can decide what they, what kind of programs they want in their schools. But we had all of them sign up. Then we had stories of coming to our school district, our, our board meeting of parents saying, you know, I love this program. I had my fourth grade son reading to my second grade son at the dinner table and actually had to tell them to stop because this program is about reading out loud. And then we said, well, we have a second grader being exposed to fourth grade learning, fourth grade literacy, literacy. We had kids reading at home. We had, like I said, Hispanic students reading to their parents who are just now learning English. So that's qualitative. We had volunteers that felt like they wasn't able to contribute to educating our kids. So we have these qualitative and quantitative stories all day long. And so the value became we had diversity inclusion in all of our students' homes. And we gave an avenue. So if somebody wanted to volunteer, wanted to be a part of our school district, this was an opportunity for them to come through using this program and being connected. And we all want to be connected. If there are other districts out there, other school leaders who want to implement such a program in their own communities, what's your pitch to get them started? What's the first thing they need to do? First thing, well, so again, this is year five, and we're still finding new ways to implement this program. I I would want them to, because of my background, um, I'd want them to be really all purposeful, thinking about the diversity and inclusion of the books, thinking about which books they're going to introduce to their students. I would think about who are their natural partners, who who already volunteers into the schools. Historically, men of color haven't felt very welcome in the schools. So we haven't felt welcome because of our interaction with school necessarily hasn't been that great. That's not for everyone. It's just over looking at, you know, data wise. When you invite in and you create a welcoming atmosphere and understanding that they have value, they can bring value and asset to the school because they're going to bring a lens that isn't there. They're going to bring a cultural connection. So when schools are open to this and are welcoming and inviting, they will come. But you have to do it on purpose. You have to let them be themselves and tell them to bring their authentic self. Tell them to bring their stories. How do they navigate society? Be prepared to talk to students about if they have a cat. Talk to students about their job. Talk to students about what it was like when they were in school, what their favorite subject was. You want to be very thoughtful and purposeful when you want to engage the community, but you can't just ask. I mean, you, you can't just all of a sudden ask for them. You, you need to start creating a relationship before you even ask them to do something. You need to acknowledge their existence. You need to acknowledge that they're worthy and that they, that they're, that they're wanted. Sometimes we only go after people when we want to ask them to do something for us, when there should be some type of a relationship started before then. When we approached uh, historically black fraternity and sororities, we knew that these were educated people. We let them know that we know that you have a lens. We know that you have experiences that are valuable to our kids and that we want them to share that as well. And so just be open and welcoming of those who can support our kids. Those those who care about our kids is is the first step. I'm, I'm trying to choose my words. So 
people can understand that, that this is a sincere and an opportunity to bring a community together and that it has to be done on purpose. It's not something that's just done on accident. You have to be willing to meet them where they're at. You have to go to the communities. You have to go to where the organizations are at. You have to be in those neighborhoods and you have to let them know that, again, that we know that they have value. The book is a vehicle. The real reprogram is a vehicle that connects. And once that connection happens, that they will bring other things to the table. The kids are going to ask them questions. Again, it's not what you just, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And the visual of them being in the building, once they do it one time, I've watched them wanting to come back and volunteer in other spaces, but say, hey, just come read this five minute book. And when the kids show them attention, love, respect, they're going to gonna, they're gonna want to come back and bring their resources and their human capital for other areas. The work, like I said, over a five-year period, I learned a lot. I learned from the volunteers themselves. What did they want out of it? How did they feel about it? I had themselves, some of them said they felt like rock stars when they would show up because kids would were looking forward to seeing them the following month. I had people talking about, again, saving relationships, saving marriages, kids establishing new relationships or families' relationships. We speak. Like over 90, 94 languages in our school district, in our families, we had people coming and sharing and reading in different languages or sharing their culture all through this program. I know once we end this conversation, I'm going to think of so many things I wanted to share about what has come out of this program and what's going to continue. But I do know that there's nothing negative that ever happens when you volunteer and you add literacy and, and you uplift kids and you invite people in the building that have historically not been invited. This is so powerful and inspiring, Christian. I can't thank you enough. I, I really am so grateful for you and your program. I wondered, you know, as we wrap up, what hopes you have for your own program as it continues to evolve? You say you've been around for five years. How do you envision the next five years? We want to do a program similar to this at the middle and high school level. So this is our elementary program. I envision this to continue to grow. I envision this that the students. So we had high school students volunteering as well. The high school volleyball team or the high school football team picked out elementary and they read to our students as well. I envision those students to continue after they graduate. And, I can, and I'm, I'm thinking a lot of them are actually going to start becoming teachers now. And we need more teachers. So because they were in that space that they saw how it's done, they remember a lot of them was like, you know, when I go read, you know, high school students, I want to go back and read at my elementary school that they went to school. So they'd go back in there and they felt like superstars and they were hugging their teachers. So I envision this as a continue to be a vehicle of, again, I've used the word cultural connections a lot because I think it's important that we humanize each other, that we're seeing each other in a different narrative that is not limited to what we see on TV. And we have more volunteering going on. I, I want to read read off some of the organizations that volunteered. Maybe give your readers some ideas of who to go after, if that's okay. Sure. So we had our PTA involved them. We had uh, all the business contractors with our school district. We contacted them. They were already providing contracting. We had businesses. Uh, our larger businesses, our factories, our mayor's office, our city government actually gave an hour 
to their workers, sanitation workers, city workers gave an hour. If they volunteered this program, they gave them a paid hour to go volunteer. So they were still being paid in their uniforms, may have an orange vest on. They came. We got our Commerce Lexington involved, which is a, you know, commerce. We had the mentoring programs. We had F, our staff at the central office that usually does not have contact with students. We got them to volunteer. So they got to go volunteer at their kids' school and they got connections with their, with the students again that we serve, but because no students are in our building, you know, sometimes you're disconnected. Again, we had uh, University of Kentucky athletic program. We had historically black fraternities and sororities. We had law office competitions. We had neighborhood associations, veterans affairs, retired teachers come in. And a lot of state, a lot of politicians would come, especially when it was time for them to get ready to start people voting for them. They were showing up. And United Way, the Bluegrass was a partner, our Urban League, and of course, the churches, any churches in that area. You know, the church was down the street from the uh, school, then they were invited to. So I just want to kind of throw that out there, who we went after and who we recruited to come in and, and volunteer. And finally, Christian, I'm just interested in hearing about some of the outcomes, some of the student outcomes you've seen. We know that we had a significant increase in diversity, equity, inclusion, and a feel of belonging. With the books looking like our students, students felt they belong. We had increase in volunteerism. We had increase of reading practice and motivation of students wanting to read out loud. And when you read out loud, you, be, you correct yourself more often. We had opportunities for English learner families to come in and share their culture. We had a lot of social emotional support. The books that we had sometimes kids were identifying with and was able to express themselves. We had uh, community-led programming. So with that being said, we had organizations getting together just to want to come in to provide the service, pay for our t-shirts that we gave, pay for food sometimes. We bridged the seven hours to the 17 hours in the community, which is very powerful. So what we were doing in school end up coming out of the building into the households, into the community. So now there was a connection there. We had a lot of, we had an increase of career awareness when you had somebody that professional in there talking about being an architect. Now you had students talking about, I want to be an architect. So we had kids thinking about what they wanted to be because when we had people come in that were not teachers and we're talking about what they did every day, then students start thinking more about what I want to do every day when I grow up. Our PBS, which is positive behavior intervention supports, the kids wanted to behave and wanted to make sure that they were able to be in the classroom when there was reading. So they knew that the reader was coming. And a lot of those students were like, okay, if I'm not acting right, if I'm not going to behave right, then I will not be able to participate in the reading time. And we had equitable family community engagement, meaning we didn't have just one group of people volunteering. We had a dynamic, wide-ranging group of people coming into the buildings, which brought in culture. That is so impressive. And what do you mean by seven hours to 17 hours? Our school day is seven hours. And the rest of the day that they're not in school is 17 hours. So that 17 hours in the community, we connected to it through books, through literacy. When you're reading at home, you're not in school, but you're still reading. When you're in the park, bridging that gap. And a lot of times what goes in the school is isolated from what goes on in the community. But everyone knows about this. That's why we had well, the real coaches were real coaches were reading at football practice. I asked them to do five minutes before practice start. How often do you see a football coach reading a short book, a short book before practice starts? Wow. So you had a coach 
reading to what grade students? Elementary football practice. There's several coaches that say, I'll do that. I'm like, just read in front of them for five minutes. I'm like, they might not have heard what you said, but they saw that you were reading. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to take so much inspiration from this. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My great thanks again to educator Christian Adair for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about our Real Read mentoring program, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time. 